have two scripture readings this morning. The first is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, and that can be found on page 731 in the Pew Bible. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. The second text is from Luke, chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root, they believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My mic good? Okay, good, great. Well, Dane and I are so glad to be here. Uh, those of you that don't know Dana from her youth, Dana, raise your hand. This is Dana. Uh, lots of stories. One of the stories that she didn't tell me when we were dating was uh, that she rode horses. Well, she mentioned it briefly that we rode horses, but after we got married, we were moving her out of her apartment. She said, oh, there's a couple bags upstairs on my bed. Could you go grab them? And I went up to her uh, to her room, and I grabbed these bags, and I looked inside, and to my surprise, they were all blue ribbons. And she had rode horses here for a number of years. Um, but one of the stories she told was, in junior, in, in high school, she was challenged by Young Life to be a leader. And she realized in order to be a, a leader in Young Life that she would have to give something up in life. And the thing that she chose to give up was riding. And to be around Dana is to, she just wants to always be on a horse. Now, she's never on a horse anymore, um, but she, she just loved riding. And I was like, how are you able to give that up? She just realized, she goes, you know, I realized that horses don't have eternal souls. If horses had eternal souls, I would have kept riding. So if you don't know Dana and you weren't here when she was here, please get a chance to, to meet her. So what we do is we work with international students. That's our primary focus. And we oversee the ministry to international students in the state of Maryland, primarily at the University of Maryland. University of Maryland is a big state school like Penn State, about 40,000 students, six or 7,000 international students. So that's our primary focus. But this spring, well, actually it was in the winter. On February 10th, we got a call. It was an emergency call in a sense hey, could you lead a summer mission? Could you and Dana lead a summer mission to Sweden? We don't have anyone else to lead it, and if you guys say no, we're not going to have the summer mission. So we had wanted to go because there was a couple that we had discipled for four years that were only about an hour and a half away from the location. And so our vision was to go and encourage them. And so we were planning on going, and we said, we will go if we can stay after and visit them. And so arrangements were made, and and we ended up there. But we didn't really know anything about Sweden. 
And are any of you Swedish? Does anyone have Swedish descent? One lone Swede, okay. One lone Swede. Any other Norwegians or Scandinavians here? Norway, Finland, okay. It's kind of all the same region, but different languages. Um, so Sweden is this, you land at the airport, it's pretty high tech. Um, in the country, everything runs like clockwork. It's pretty amazing. But only 2%, only 2% of Swedes would attend what we would consider uh, a solid, good church. 49% are members of, uh, of the state church, and they pay their one-half of 1% 1 tax through their income. It's taken right out of their paycheck, like Social Security, um, to the church. But the majority of them would claim to be scientific, and meaning that they think the Bible and its stories are relegated to mythology like Thor and Odin. And let me see, I, I think I have a, a picture of the Swedes. Try that again. There you go. So when you go to Sweden, this is, this is what some of the older Swedish churches look like. They're big, they're huge, they're beautiful, and they're empty. There's no one there. Um, so we arrived on May 17th. On May 18th was a national holiday. They call it a red day when it's a national holiday. So it was a national holiday. And if I were to ask you, what, what's the national holiday, you might say, well, you know, Sweden's Independence Day, something like that. The national holiday is Ascension Day. So here we are in Sweden, it's Ascension Day. I'm like, gosh, the U.S. doesn't even celebrate Ascension. In fact, most churches barely even celebrate Ascension and Pentecost. Easter's a big day, but, but Ascension is like, what's Ascension? You know, some people are lost when they hear it. But anyhow, Ascension Day is a national holiday. And we were on a bus, and I began chatting with a, uh, the father of this young family. And as we chatted, I said, today's Ascension Day. I said, what's the spiritual climate in Sweden? He said, oh, most Swedes, they wouldn't even know what the day is. They just know they have it off, and they're hanging out. He said, in Sweden, you won't find people really interested in spiritual things. He said, most people are atheists, and they're not, they're not interested in things like that. And, and, and that is true. In fact, um, the, the people that we were working with, um, what they said is that Sweden is a post-post-Christian uh, society, meaning that the majority of Swedes don't know anyone in their family who's a believer in God. They're all atheist, or at least agnostic. But in the midst of this, we found that God was doing work. And there were those looking for meaning. There, there, were, there were Swedes, there were immigrants. The immigrants came, many, almost all the immigrants that came had a belief in God. And one of the things that we saw was that there were lots and lots of, of people who had spiritual interest. And I'm just gonna share a couple of, of slides. This is, this is our team uh, that we took. It was a relatively small team. We took three students and we took a part-time field staff from Mexico. Uh, she was an amazing blessing. She ended up speaking five languages and got to use all five languages during our three-week summer mission and she was fluent in Swedish, which was a huge benefit. And then we worked with a local team. These are all crew staff that are there. Uh, two full-time staff and five, um, uh, four interns. And, and they were great helping us being on the, on the ground. But we went to different locations. And, and so I, I have a, a couple pictures of, one of the things we did is we went to this place it was a refugee center. And so this is where they process refugees. Now you don't see any people because it's illegal to take pictures of them and post it. Um, but we would go there uh, twice a week. We would meet international students, make connections with them. And then if they brought up spiritual topic, then we could share spiritual topic. And what was interesting is almost all the internationals brought up the spiritual dimension of life. So it was very easy to move 
uh, to that. Other things we did is we had a conversation cafe where we invited people to discuss a particular topic. Grill outs are a thing in Sweden. I don't know if you know that, but grill outs are a thing in Sweden. Maybe it's because they have a very short window of great weather, but you have a grill out, you invite people, they're like, I'm there. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting is that the government has mandated this time in the afternoon, it's 30 minutes, that you have to have a break. And so in Sweden, they call it fika. And so you have coffee, you have a pastry, but you don't talk about work on fika, you talk about something else. And so family, deeper issues, and then when you go back to work, you don't talk about what you talked on FICA, you only talk about work. And, and so if you invite someone to FICA, they are kind of obligated to come. So that, that was convenient for doing ministry. But other things, you know, just volleyball. And so I'm just sharing a few things before we dive into our, our text. Okay, I'm gonna go back. So this is just on the trams. There's just, just everyday life. We, we engage people and had conversation. Dana's going to come up right now, and she's going to share about an opportunity that she had. And so what I'm doing is I'm just sharing a few things, and then I'm going to take us to our text uh, about our trip. But Dana's going to share about an event that she had where she got to use a skill that she learned in college that has pretty much been unused until now. So, Dana. So, Cruz definition of successful witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. And the hardest part about that is taking the initiative, right? Because that means you most likely are going to have to step out of your comfort zone. So God gave us many opportunities to do that, step out of our comfort zone. And this was one of them for me. Um, we were eating dinner at our hotel and I was at the buffet filling up my plate and I saw this gesturing out of the side of my eye, the corner of my eye, and I turned and sure enough there were three deaf guys signing to each other. And without thinking about it, I interrupted their conversation and started chatting with them. And before you know it, I was sitting at their table and it was seven deaf soccer players that were there for a, t a tournament. And so long story short, we ended up going to their soccer game the next day. And what we did was we brought a bag of Bibles with a little gospel track in it and our contact information. And um, that was something I was not expecting. It was 30 some years ago when I studied American Sign Language in college. And here God gave me this opportunity to share with these guys. And the amazing thing is one of the guys that he's actually hidden, he was from Nigeria and he had studied five deaf languages. And because of that, he was able to actually translate for me because they're speaking in Swedish sign language. <laughs> yeah, so God did an amazing thing. But one of the things I learned um, during this time was I was hesitant to give them the Bibles. And when we were at the soccer game, the thought came to me, who else is going to tell them about Jesus? If not me, then who? And that's what motivated me to give them the Bibles. And Andre's going to tell you a little bit more about one of the guys that we met, because we were able to share the gospel with one of the guys. But would you pray with me that God raises up one of these guys to be a deaf pastor in Sweden. That is my prayer. So please pray with me that God will do that. Thank you. Just being available right where we're at, there are people sitting around us every night at the, at the hotel. It was a beautiful time to connect with people. Um, but yeah, that soccer player, he, um, we asked him if he had had a chance to minister to those on his team. And he said, oh, they're atheists, they're Muslims, um, not really. So we prayed for him that he would have the boldness and the courage to enter into those conversations. And even right now as I'm sharing that, the Holy Spirit might be tapping your life and saying, hmm, who's that person that's in your life that you can enter gently into conversation or you can serve them? 
which will then open up opportunities to move to the spiritual dimension. At the end, I have a, a picture of that, that young man. Uh, let me open us in prayer as we're going to move to the word now. Father, as we come here this morning, hearts are in different places. Father, there's, there's concerns that people have. There's health concerns. There's family members that are in relationships that are challenging. There's conflict. There might be one or two that the sun is shining and everything is wonderful. But Lord, for others, there's aches and pains, there's hurts, there's worry, there's trauma. Father, nourish us from your word now. Lord, I'm just a vessel delivering this message of your word. May it resonate in our lives. May each of us hear a word that we can be encouraged by. Holy Spirit, come and be in this place. Lord, as this church seeks for a pastor, Lord, would you provide that man and probably his wife as well to be a part of this congregation? Lord, would you allow that the elders here to believe and to trust you? There might be some dark months that are ahead in, in the search process and or it may go quickly. I don't know how it'll be, Lord, but, but I do know that they will have to cling to you and exercise faith along the way. Lord, you have a beautiful community here. Lord, bind them together. Bind this community together when they have this season without a shepherd. Would you be their great shepherd? Lord, would the man who's an interim be a man that can bring healing and wisdom and encouragement? And would he feed your flock that is here? Lord, you have a purpose for this church. You have planted this church and had it here for decades and decades and decades. Lord, let your light so shine that it might glorify you to the neighborhoods and communities that are around here. Lord, fill the pews that are in this room. May this church once again be busting at the seams, I pray. Now, Lord, open your word. Anoint me for this time to preach it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our Old Testament passage, the Lord invites us to come. He invites us to come, and he invites us to come and buy without money. It's interesting, he says, come and buy, but then he says, buy without money. I don't know about you, but when I go to the store, it's pretty challenging to buy without money. Although in Sweden, they don't take any money. You can only buy with a credit card or a debit card. They say, no, no money, no money. You go to a convenience store, they say, we don't take cash. Almost a cashless society. But he says, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? God is holding up something great and he's saying basically you're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. Come. He's inviting us to lay down our search for real food, to stop wasting our time on things that have no capacity to satisfy and to come to him. In Sweden, there was a tremendous lean upon science and state. The utopian state and science can provide all your needs and create the perfect society. That was the sense that you got among Swedes. We have everything. Why do we need God? You know, we had four children. I told Dan, I said, gosh, I wish we would have been in Sweden when we had children. You get 440 paid days of leave at 80% of your salary. I'm like, wow, that would have been amazing. All those years of short support. Dana would have been paid 80% of her salary. It would have been great. But they are trying to create this perfect society. In our New Testament parable, there are three elements. And, you know, I always hesitate using a familiar parable. You know, the parable of the sower. You know, some of you can memorize it. You know, and, and all of you can probably retell the story. And so in the story, we have our three elements, right? We have the seed, the farmer, and the soils. And the seed is the gospel. But you know, there's lots of gospels that are out there. There's lots of false gospels. And gospel has been so watered down in our culture that almost everything's the gospel. But there is a gospel that Jesus taught. Now, obviously, there's the gospels, there's the four gospels, the whole message is the gospel. But, it, but Jesus distilled it down. 
he distilled down the gospel, and then there's the fuller gospel, but he distilled down the gospel to basically this, that you have been made in God's image, but humans have fallen, humans have chose to sin, you have chosen to sin, and God in his mercy and his love entered into an eternal covenant with his son, and the son came and died upon the cross, Fully God, fully man, dies upon the cross to become the atoning sacrifice, the payment that's necessary for your sin because you have an eternal debt against the eternal God of the universe. And no finite offering that you can bring a of, a, of a goat, a bull, a ram can satisfy that. An eternal, infinite sacrifice needed to be paid and that was in Jesus Christ. And he comes to earth, lives a perfect life, dies for our sin. And now we have a choice. He says, I offer this sacrifice to you as a gift. Will you receive it? And you have a choice. Will you reach out and receive it? But it's not just knowledge, and it's not just saying, yes, I want your gift of salvation. But it's saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Now, for our first testament, um, believers, it was a big deal because to call Jesus Lord was to say Caesar wasn't Lord. And to say Caesar wasn't Lord at some points was at the pain of death or the pain of imprisonment. Because all you had to do was drop a coin, get a mark on a piece of paper, and you were good to go. But our brothers and sisters in Christ wouldn't do that because they knew that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and he had died for their sins and he was their only hope. So that's the message. That's what the seed is. It's Jesus Christ dying for your sins, offering you eternal life. And he invites us. He invites us to come. But people just like in Isaiah's day, most would not come. Notice that the farmer sows the seed broadly. And much of the seed does not end up where it is supposed to end up. No farmer today would be able to stay in business if they, if they planted like this farmer plants. They would spend so much money on seed that they would go bankrupt. You know, farmers' margins are usually pretty thin. And to spend that much on seed, look at our farmer. He's sowing seed, it falls in the thorns, it falls in the rock, it falls in the path. You know, when I see farmers in the old, in, in pictures of, of like third world country farmers, they have a stick, they put a hole in the ground, they drop one seed, they cover it over. And they're keeping and, and they keep going. They are not throwing the seed up in the wind, and the wind is blowing the seed wherever it wills. But that's the picture that we have here. Throw the seed broadly. But you know, most people, when they share the gospel, they think, oh, they wouldn't be interested. That person wouldn't be interested. How do you know? Jesus tells Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills, and we don't know where it comes from, and we don't know where it goes. The wind is the Holy Spirit, and it falls upon who it will. God uses means, and he uses the means of someone coming with the gospel, sharing Christ with them. Most people need to hear about eight times before they receive Christ. Some people a lot more than that. So be extravagant. Although the seed is the eternal message of God with the power to change lives, Jesus communicates that it is the four soils that determine if the seed grows to maturity. And the first that we run across is the path. The seed never sprouts, and we're told that it, quick, that it is quickly snatched away by the devil. When he, people hear the gospel of grace, they cannot or they will not receive it. Sometimes, um, whoops, I am missing... Okay, sorry. I misnumbered my notes. Sorry about that. I'd gone over them and I misnumbered my notes. Um, okay, here I am. Sorry about that. So what stands in their way? As Dane and I have been in ministry for 35 years, we found that there's four faults uh, assurances that people have. So imagine you sow the seed with someone. Why are they not interested? 
Think of your own experience of sharing the gospel. Why have people not been interested? So I have found that there's four false assurances and one, uh, I'll call it an experiential impediment. So the first people that I, that I encounter in the first false assurance are people that are atheists or they're agnostic. They have determined that there is no God or that they don't know if there's a God. This is actually the more prevalent view today. I can't determine if there's a God, um, you know, so therefore why waste the time trying to figure it out? They are not like C.S. Lewis, who really goes after it hard, writes down his thoughts, thinks critically. That is not where most agnostics are. It's not where most, most atheists are. Um, Dana, the first day we were there doing ministry, she runs into this woman, Joanna. She's in her mid-20s. And Joanna shares that her whole family are atheists and that she is not interested even in the possibility of considering, considering God. Again, why? Because the Bible is relegated to mythology, like Thor and Odin. Uh, the second one is universalism. So if you think about what is universalism, Universalism is a false assurance. How do you get to heaven? How does a universalist get to heaven? They die. They just die. When they die, they go to heaven. When, when, when people die, everyone goes to heaven. So if you're a universalist, why? Why consider the God of the Bible? Why consider Jesus? Everybody just makes it. You know, we work with uh, Hindus. In Hindus, that's their belief. You're going to have however many cycles, maybe it's five, maybe it's ten, maybe it's a million cycles. But eventually, you're going to make it to heaven. There's some Christian beliefs that you end up in purgatory. It's the same kind of idea. Eventually, you do something good and eventually you kind of make it. Or you, you do make it. Uh, the next one is what I call works righteousness. And this is a pretty common one. In fact, most of the people that you run into, this will be, you ask someone this question, if you were to die and stand before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I often say I was asked this question when I was younger and then I'm just silent. And then after a pregnant pause, maybe 15 seconds, they, often people lean in. There was a guy on the train or on a tram uh, from Somalia he leans in, he's like, what did you say? He was a Muslim, he wanted to know, what did I say? Because a Muslim has no answer. Be good in hope, in hope upon God's mercy. They have no assurance. But he, unlike most people who are in this camp, actually wanted an answer. So most people that are in this situation um, think that if there is a God, I'm better than, and then they always compare themselves to someone who's not quite as good. And if they're not a really good person, Hitler always works really well. Um, and, and they say, well, you know, God knows what our nature is. He created our nature, and so he's going to let me in. And I, I often say this, and, and I'll make this statement. You know, I think there's only three religions in the world. I'll be in a conversation, we're talking about maybe faith, and I'll say, I think there's only three religions in the world, and then I'm just silent. And then they're like, well, what are they? They wanna know, what are those three religions? I say, well, the first is atheism, right? It's got meaning, morality, um, meaning, morality, origin, meaning, morality, destiny, covers all the, the four aspects of worldview. And the second is, I'm gonna be good enough, I'm gonna to try to lead a good life, and I love when people say this, they say, I always do the best I can. And I'm like, well, you know, I know me, and I know that I don't always do the best that I can, so if you always do the best that you can, that's pretty amazing. And then they're like, well, yeah, actually, I don't always do the best that I can, you're right. Um, I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm like, hey, I know I don't. And, uh, and then I say, but the, there's a third way. And the third way 
is what Jesus said. And Jesus said, no one is good. Jesus said, no one's righteous. He said, actually, the best works that, you, that we can do in our life, that we bring before God, is actually like a dirty rag. And if you look in the Greek, the word that he's using for dirty rag there is really, really graphic. I'll let you go and look it up on your own. But it's really graphic. So imagine the very best thing that you can do in your life, and now you've died and you stand before God and you say, God, here's my very best work. So picture the dirtiest rag that you can think of, and that's what you're handing to him. Maybe you gave a bunch of money to an orphanage. Maybe you adopted four children. Maybe you gave money to a surgery to have someone, you know, a child, their lip healed, you know, the ads on television. And you did some really great works. Maybe you've been a pastor. But if we're showing up and we're saying, God, here's what I have to offer, God would say, well, what about Jesus? Why did Jesus die if you were going to be your own savior? So Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. But not only that, he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his perfect standing and allows us to stand before the, to stand before the Father. So that's number four. Number, four, number three. Number three. Oh, I want to. Sh uh, this is this is a guy um, I was sharing with on the train. This is a guy from Somalia. Uh, this was after our summer mission. We were going to visit our, our friends that we had discipled in a different city. And we were in, in the conversation with him. Um, or I was in the conversation with him. And I don't know what... He didn't, he didn't necessarily... It wasn't... Uh, there was actually another Somalian on a train. This, on, a, on a tram. This is a guy on a train. But this particular guy, he wasn't... Uh, um, I would say he was open, but he wasn't like jumping up and down. But he had some, some good things to think about. The fourth false assurance that I run into, and uh, I'd love to do a quiz on this word, sacerdotalism. Does anyone know what sacerdotalism is? I, I didn't know what it was when, when I initially heard it. But sacerdotalism is the idea that you're going to have a mediator between you and God, like a priest. And so often in, in those settings... Some of my, our, uh, our Catholic friends think that the priest is going to do like last rites or confession or something, or maybe it's baptism. It's that thing that is going to make you okay to God and a priest has performed the duty. It's kind of the, the magical go-between between you and God. But you know, when we stand before God, we're going to be standing alone. We're not going to have a priest standing with us. We're going to be alone. And it's going to be totally based upon what Christ has done. And then lastly, the experience. And I've run, we've run into this a lot. Is people have had a bad experience. Maybe it was with someone that they view as a Christian. Maybe it was with church. Maybe there was just pain in their life and they're struggling with the problem of evil. Uh, maybe it's a morality thing. At working with college students, we've often run into people and they're living with their their girlfriend or their boyfriend, and so they are not interested. Even though they were raised in the church, they have walked it back because they knew they know what the cost would be and they would have to be a change in their life, and so they are unwilling uh, to come. So those are our four false assurances. Atheism, universalism works, uh, sacerdotalism, and experience. And think of, think of the people that are around your life. What category do they fall into? The second group, or the second area where the seed falls is the rocky path. And you know, you know the story of the rocky path. The seed falls there. Maybe there's a little water trapped on that rocky path. The seed lands near it, comes up right away. A couple weeks later, as we move towards summer, the sun's a little more intense. The seed has no root and is choked out. This is those that receive the word, they're excited about it, and they quickly fall away. What scripture's telling us is they're not believers. They had an experience, but they had no root. They were never born again. John says the fact that they went out from us proves that they were never of us. And it's that person who walks away, not the person who walks away necessarily, who's still holding that Jesus is God, but they're walking away, saying, I no longer believe. And they walk away. The third is those that are choked by the weeds and the cares of life. 
I don't know about you, but there's a lot of cares in life. When we had children, there were a lot more cares in life. You know, when they were little, always being sick, and now, and I thought, oh, once we get them through college, that'll be great. And what I realized, this is, see, people trick you into being a parent. They say parenting is really great, and, and you know, you have these kids, and the kids are running, you know, you go visit them at their house, and their kids run to them, you know, when they go in the door, and they're all excited, but they don't tell you that when they hit about 12, they don't run to you anymore, right? They just sit on the couch, and they're playing with their phone, or playing with a game. The other thing they don't tell you is how long you have to be a parent. <laughs> duration. They never mention duration, like how long you have to be a parent. It's not like buying a three-year bond. This is like you're buying a lifetime bond, right? So our oldest daughter's 30, she's dating someone, and we're like, when do we get to meet him? Well, she's already in love, so now when we meet him, any input that we have is, is too late. So. We're, we're excited about that. But yeah, duration, you know, it just goes on and on. Um, but I digress, I digress. Choked by the cares and weeds of the world. So in this situation, the, the plant is, um, we don't know necessarily that it dies, but the plant is there. So many scholars would say that this, that this person is actually not a believer. Some scholars would say they are a believer. And they'd say they're not a believer because they never produce any fruit. Um, so it's kind of up for debate. I think, I think it's a situation that the person is not a believer based on, based on my study. Because Jesus says we will bear fruit and this person, this seed doesn't bear fruit. They're, they were never fruitful, at least how it's, how it's portrayed in our, in our story. And then the fourth soil is the good soil. We are told in Luke that it yields a hundredfold. In Matthew, he records that, it, that it's 30, 60, 100. It bears much fruit. We're not exactly told what the fruit is. It could be sharing the gospel when someone comes to faith. It could be using your gifts of administration to keep this church up and running and operating. We don't know exactly what it will be. Um, I do think that, that people that are believers in Jesus and really have a relationship tend to want to make him known. They might struggle in doing that, but there's a desire to want to make him known. And we tried to capture a little bit of what the Lord is doing. Um, so I'll just share it. This is uh, traveling across Sweden. I don't know what is planted here, but isn't that pretty? That is some crop that they're gonna harvest. These fields were just everywhere, these yellow things that they were planting. And so it's some I don't know what it is. Someone, someone here is in agriculture. Someone knows what it is. But I don't know what it is. But what we did at the end of our summer mission is we put up sticky notes. And each one of these sticky notes was something that people trusted the Lord with. Or they saw God do a great work. And, and I think it's often really uncomfortable to be good soil. Andrew, one of our students, had a great fear of flying, but he said... God is calling me to sow seed, and I will go even if I'm afraid. It's, it's interesting, his he's afraid to fly. His father is a pilot in the Air Force, and so he's flying all the time. So maybe his father just tells him terror stories, you know, I don't know. But he was incredibly fearful of flying. Like the whole flight for like seven hours, he's just praying. And, you know, we just trusted that God would work in his life. He applied for his passport late, and he found out that, I think secretly maybe he was hoping that he wouldn't get his passport, and that would be the reason. And also support wouldn't come in. His support came in like in three weeks. His uh, passport, he gets an email saying it's going to be seven weeks for you to get your passport. And like 10 days later, he has his passport. You know, and I said, Andrew, the Lord wants you to go. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm just so scared to fly. And so the first time we went sharing, he had never been sharing. I paired him up with a girl, one of our um, interns in Sweden. He went out to a park and he walked right up to someone and the first people he shared with were very interested to go through a worldview, we call them perspective cards, where you walk through what's your view of the world and does God exist and just had a really great experience. By the end of the summer mission, he was just so excited to share with people. Just as he interacted with people, he'd bring up Christ. Hannah, another student, had many dietary issues.
But she said, I'll go and trust the Lord to provide uh, food issues. And she ended up sharing with a 16-year-old named Amanda. And Amanda came to Christ and then met her for several subsequent follow-ups. Amanda brought her brother, was able to share Christ with her brother. And she's connected with um, our staff who are there now. And God provided better food for her at our hotel in Sweden than she had at home. So gluten-free breads and cookies and things like that. And she really likes like vegetables. She, most of the time she eats like a vegetarian and they always had beets, red beets, yellow beets, lettuce, all kinds of, of uh, potatoes, just in, 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 in great dishes like that. Um, Kayla, another one of our students got sick in London. She was from Mexico. Um, when she arrived in London, they told her that her flight was canceled. Oh, and by the way, we lost your luggage. And we don't have a flight for you from London to uh, Sweden. So you'll have to figure it out on your own. Um, and, it, and it was at a time that all the, you know, kind of the kiosk where the airline attendant could help you closed. And so as she prayed, she's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So she just asked this random person who has like, uh, you know, looks like maybe they work for an airline. And this guy is like, hey, they're all closed, but I will help you. And so he walks her wherever she needed to go and got help and got her a ticket and she was able to fly and get there. But in the midst, she hurt her leg. Something happened to her leg. We're not quite sure. But she ended up in the ER and in the hospital. And so for two days on the summer mission, she is tracking down her leg and stuck with a big medical bill. And, and I said, Kayla, how are you doing with all this? She said, I'm doing fine. The Lord is in control of all this, and I'm just trusting that he's going to use all of this to bring about his glory. And I'm just like, wow, what a perspective to have. She ended up sharing Christ with, a, she shared with many people, but one individual, she shared Christ with a woman from Iraq who was not interested at all. But this woman from Iraq introduces her to a friend who's from Iran. And her friend from Iran is very open to Christ. And so able to get contacts and again pass off this woman um, onto um, onto our coworkers there. But sometimes, you know, I think in life we're just tired. That was my situation. We arrived in Linkshaping, and we. You might be wondering: Are there any Presbyterian? Um, are there any Presbyterians in in Sweden? And what we found is everywhere you went, there was Presbyterian. Every train station, every bus stop, there were Presbyterians. Oh, this is us in Linkshaping. They also had these little guys. In every city, there's these little guys with the name. That one says Linkshaping. But there's the Presbyterian. So wherever you go, there's the Presbyterian. <laughs> I didn't see one Presbyterian church, but everywhere you went, there was a Presbyterian. They're basically the 7-Eleven of Sweden. And, and they were there. So we arrive in Central Station, and we arrive an hour before our friends, because our friends are dropping off um, their mother in Stockholm, and they have to come back via train. And so we're waiting, and I'm like, yes, an hour to just sit. Summer mission is over, and I just want to sit. So I'm just sitting there, catching up on email or whatever on my phone. And Dana nudges me. Hey, that guy over there at the Presbyterian, He's got a cross on. You should go talk to him. I'm thinking, lots of people have crosses on. It doesn't mean anything. Hey, you should go talk to that guy over there. Hey, Fred, you should go talk to that guy. Finally, at this point, I'm a little annoyed. I'm like, if the Holy Spirit's nudging you, why don't you go talk to him? She goes, okay, I will. So she goes over, and she's like, hey, I saw your cross. Would you happen to be a Christian? He's like, why, yeah, I am. And she goes, oh, by the way, are you from Syria? He's like, yes, I'm from Syria. How do you know? She goes, well, your accent, I could tell. We have a friend from Syria. You sound like you're from Syria. So it gets in a conversation, calls me over. So I, I head over to the conversation. Dana kind of steps out of the conversation because our friends arrive. Anyhow, I share the gospel with the guy. Of course, he's trusting in works. He's from an Orthodox background. Share the gospel with him embraces the fact that, yeah, Jesus is the only way. It's not through works. Share the gospel with him. Introduce him to my friend, JP, who is a student. So one of our prayers was that JP and his wife would find people that they could invest in. 
So I connect him with JP, and he gives me, this guy Michael gives me his phone number. The next day as I'm back at JP's, I send him a text. He responds to the text, responds to JP's text. Last I heard, they were getting together. Uh, that's pretty unusual, right? You meet someone randomly, they give you their phone number. Um, so then we, we go away for a couple days, and we come back, and we're driving back to their apartment, and we had prayed that Evangeline would find someone as well. So we're on a bus, and we're facing each other, two seats and two seats. But I have my bag sitting next to Dana. Dana goes, you should move your bag. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you're being annoying. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I'll move my bag. So I move my bag. No sooner do I move my bag, a woman gets on the bus. She's probably about 25, 26. She's carrying this long green thing, about this big around at the base, has roots grown out of it. She gets on the bus, sits down, and I'm like, what is that? Is that an onion? She goes, yeah, it's an onion. We get in a conversation. Turns out that she's from Iraq. She's from an area in Iraq that has the oldest, one of the oldest Christian churches in the world. Dates back to the time of Jesus. She speaks Aramaic, fluent in Aramaic. And her city was attacked by ISIS and, and her family fled the country. And they immigrated to Sweden. And she's now studying at Linköping. She's a student. And see, my wheels are spinning now. And Evangeline's on the bus, so I need to connect them. So I ask her, I say, are, did you grow up Orthodox? And she goes, she goes, no, I'm Baptist. I'm like, what are the odds of someone in the middle of Iraq in this old, I don't know what the community is, Carmelite community or whatever it is, being, being Baptist? And she said, yeah, we're here, we're here in Linköping. We really don't have community. They hadn't found a church. I call Evangeline over, Evangeline exchanges, you know, through Facebook, message, Facebook messaging really quickly and, and gets her number. Her husband, we, we had stopped though, her husband gets off the bus and we keep going in order for this to happen. So now we're several stops away. And we, have to, we have to hike back because um, we don't have the pass. He had the pass for the bus. So here's a, a couple more uh, photos. So the guy with the Boston hat, um, the photo's reversed, but it would be the guy next to, Dan, the, next to Dana is Daniel. And he was from the Ukraine, 20 years old, fled the war, and he's in the process of trying to immigrate. He grew up Orthodox, and uh, we had met him at the refugee center. He said it was okay to take his picture. But he came to where we were staying, and he was connecting with some of our students, and I ran into him. And as I was chatting with him, um, I just asked him, I said, Daniel, what would you say to God if you were to stand before him and, and you had died? Why should I let you into heaven? He would say, because I kept your law. So I got in a conversation with him, and, and uh, he's not real fluent in English. Now, most Swedes are bilingual. They speak Swedish and English, so it's not a problem. But he's Ukrainian, and his English is broken. He speaks Russian, actually, the best because uh, he's from eastern Ukraine. And so we're using Google Translate to share. And as he's getting ready to leave, I realize, um, so he's an individual that maybe about right before the war started, he started reading the Bible on his own pretty actively. He's also reading this theology book, which I later found out was a book that was, um, is put out by the Orthodox Church. It's basically the systematic theology of the Orthodox Church. And he's reading it. Pretty dry reading, I'm imagining. But, um, but when the Holy Spirit's touched you, you're interested in spiritual things. And so that's where he was. Very interested. And so he's getting ready to leave, and I realize he doesn't know the gospel. So the students that are on our team, they say goodbye at the train, and I walk to the train with them. I said, Daniel, I'll ride with you. So I rode on the train. We continue our discussion. We got off the train. He's like, hey, there's a table over here. Let's, let's grab a table. And we sat for an, another two and a half hours outside at the train station. And at the end of our time, it was, it was like a weight had come off of him when he realized, wow, so Jesus has paid for all my sins. There's nothing I can do. I took him to the passage in, in Romans, Romans 3, 19 and 20, where it talks about the role of the law, that everyone's guilty. The purpose of the law is to show we're guilty. And it was kind of eye-opening uh, for him. Here's a picture of the, um, the guy that, this is a guy that um, was deaf from Nigeria. Uh, he, he, he was at a, a Nigerian mission school is where he heard the gospel. I think his parents are believers. 
And here's a picture of uh, JP and Evangeline. We are, I don't know, we're in Stockholm. They went with us to Stockholm. We booked our flight out of Stockholm. I didn't realize we couldn't travel from their house. So we had to travel the night before and spend the night and then fly out the next morning. So let me just try to wrap it up. You know, Jesus tells us, he says, come buy spiritual food without cost. He tells us to embrace the gospel. I think one way to evaluate our lives is to look, and, and this isn't just for you, it's also for me, is to say, Lord, am I producing fruit? And if not, Lord, why not? And I think we can begin to pray and ask the Lord if, we can, if he can begin to bear fruit in our lives. Scripture, of course, admonishes us to examine our lives. Just a reminder that Scripture is not an intellectual understanding of the truth, but eternal life is knowing God. Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, Come to me and buy rich food without money. We buy through one believing. What is believing? It's just turning from what we've been trusting in and placing our hope in Christ. Sacrifice to make us acceptable. And then receiving Christ as our Lord. So if you're here today and you haven't put your hope in Christ, I just encourage you during the, the closing music to just say, Lord, today I want to trust you with my life. What Fred said about you, what your word says about Jesus dying for me, I believe that. And I want to trust you with my life. I believe that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, and I can put my hope in you. I believe you have the best, that you're going to glorify yourself through me. And then today you can ask the Lord to, to bear fruit through you. My experience is that there's often little joy in Christians' life who are not sowing and seeking to bear fruit. Sometimes if you say that Christian life isn't really working, it could be that we're really not engaged in the mission. We've been chasing something else. I believe in Jesus, but I really am not seeking to make him Lord of my life in the dailies of my life. And we can all come and repent. I think that's part of Sunday morning, is it, is it helps us lead a life of repentance. So let me just close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given us these scriptures, these soils. Thank you that for most of us here in this room, we're in that soil that has embraced you. That you're bearing fruit in our lives. But maybe we're that soil that has embraced you and you've borne fruit in our life, but right now you're just, you're distant, you're far away, or maybe we're fixated on fear. And Lord, we want you to bear fruit in our life. And for those that are here that are saying, hmm, I don't know. Lord, grant them the grace to trust you, even today. Let them not put it off, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.